Welcome to episode five of Everyday Yoga, Yoga Philosophy for Everyday Life. It's uh, me, Brendan Murphy here, the founder and director of Shanti Warrior Yoga. Uh, this week I wanted to talk about balancing strength and gentleness, right? and that's a big theme in yoga. And uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because uh, one of the lovely uh, students that I have who comes into the one of my classes at the University of Bedfordshire, uh, a guy called Hassan, he's in a, in a lovely Egyptian guy. He brought me, well, he'd been to Egypt um, back home to visit his family. He's, he's studying here. And um, he uh, brought me back one of these lovely little statues you see. Now, you might have seen these um, these cats, these symbols of um, protection and... Um, he brought one of these back to me and, and I said, you know, can you tell me a little bit about th this um, symbol and what it means? And he, and he told me a little bit about it. And uh, and um, I kind of forgot it, <laughs> you know, to be honest, like, uh, you know, the name of the thing, I had to come back and look it up again. Um, but the thing that stuck out for me was I, he said that it represents these cats, these, these um, they look like, look like a almost like Siamese cats to me. Um, I mean, I'm no cat expert, but you know, those slim looking cats with long, long legs. And uh, he said to me that they represent in Egyptian, ancient Egyptian um, mythology and belief, uh, that he said in his words, the fierce and the beauty, right? And I love that. I said, fierceness and beauty, you know, and that's, and then another girl who's in the class, Nada, she's another um, Egyptian girl. Uh, she said, that's kind of what yoga is, isn't it? You know, the balance of the fierce and and the beauty. And I, and I thought, yeah, you know what? You're right. And, and so that inspired me to talk about balancing strength and gentleness. And, and you know, you could say that the fierce is, is the strength and the gentleness is, is the beauty. And... Um, you know, if you've seen, a, you know, I'm sure most of you will have seen a yin-yang symbol. Uh, you know, the circle where one half is, is black with a white dot in it and one half is white with a, a black dot in it. And that's the same thing. It's about balancing strength and gentleness, darkness and light, masculinity and femininity, femininity the, in, in stereotypical terms. Um yeah, and, and so, so, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to t make this episode about balancing strength and gentleness. And um, so this little figure that Hassan gave me, it's just such a lovely kind of thoughtful gift. Um, he said it's also a, a symbol of fertility. And, and that's, um, that's a really kind of, it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting mix, isn't it? You know, the, the fierceness, and fertility, you might think that that's an odd mix, but I guess, you know, why does it have to be? And so I went and looked at the, um, online a bit more about this figure. And I saw that, um, this figure is known as Bast, B-A-S-T. Um, now I might be pronouncing it wrong. Excuse me if I am, but Bast was originally an, an ancient Egyptian lioness goddess. And um, and it has developed along the years to to become something more, maybe mainstream, acceptable as as a cat and as opposed to a, to a, you know a, a woman's body with a lion's head or a lioness's head, 
Um, but so Bast, the the, um, or it was I think it was Sekhmet, yeah. So so when when the uh, the figure before it became the cat, as the protector of the pharaoh, it was the lioness goddess Sekhmet, and Sekhmet was as I said. Um, a figure with a female body and a lioness's head, defender of the pharaoh. And online, it's suggested that um, you know that this may have developed to become the cat, uh, because essentially, what they were saying was um, they wanted a more gentle image, and um, Sekhmet became known as as the almost a symbol of um, like the patron saint of, of perfumes and oils and anointments. And so that kind of perfumed figure, that, that gentler figure uh, developed to become the cat, right? But I love this image of, of Sekhmet, the goddess, lioness goddess, and uh, she was the, the ancient goddess of the sun, apparently. And so I'm coming back to, to strength and gentleness, balancing strength and gentleness, right? Because as goddess of the sun, it was said that she could heal, right? And give life. And and that's something that we that we are familiar with, most of us, I guess. Um, the symbol of the sun being the giver of life because, you know, without the sunshine, you don't have the crops and, um, you know in terms of getting sun onto your body. If you get sun on your skin, it can activate vitamin D within your body, which can then, you know, help with um, strengthening of your bones, right? So vitamin D deficiency, um, one of the things that, that signifies, one of the symptoms of, of vitamin D deficiency is um, porous bones, osteoporosis, right? So the sun shining onto your skin can activate vitamin D within your body, which gives you stronger bones, right? But, okay, so as goddess of the sun, she could heal and give life, and uh, but she could also scorch, right? And so that makes sense too, doesn't it? It's like, you know, too much sun and you're going to burn, right? And too much sun and you can have drought, and then the crops don't do so well, yeah? So that's really kind of, interesting to me that that this lioness goddess Sekhmet was was a goddess of the sun and that symbol meant that she could scorch and 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 and, and punish and, and and take life you know she was said to be um able to send fire plagues apparently from my research anyway on wikipedia right but so forgive me if i'm wrong but as far as i can tell um as well as being a symbol of fertility, right? Uh, and giving life. So what am I trying to get at here? Well, I'm trying to get at the fact that there's light and darkness in everything, right? And good and bad in everyone. And that's the whole yin and yang thing, right? There's light and darkness in every day. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, I don't like the darkness, I like the light. But if you think about it, really, if you're trying to sleep, you don't want it to be too bright. So you need the darkness to rest. Right? The darkness provides you with 
rest in terms of, well, coming back to the yin and yang, right? The yin is the, the gentleness, the, the, um, the darkness in the symbol of the yin and yang, right? So I read somewhere that um, it was said to represent the shade of, of the mountains um, in Japan. Now, I might be wrong on that, but I like that image anyway, and it works for me. So the darkness in the yin-yang symbol represents the cool and the shade. The light, the, the white bit, right, represents white-hot heat. Um, and so, you know, that, that's interesting, you know, because you might consider in our Western culture, darkness might have been considered to be um, scary, you know? But in this symbol, it's a symbol of femininity, a symbol of coolness and gentleness, right? But there's a bit of, of the light in there, yeah? A bit of the white hotness. And then in the same, by the same token, you've got the, the light side of the yin-yang symbol, which has a little bit of the darkness in it. And it's a symbol of balance, the yin-yang symbol. It's a symbol that also says that within anything dark, there is some light. Within anything light, there is some darkness. And... Um, I guess if you want to look at it like in everyday life, every day, right? If you have a, a good day, there would be something in there that wasn't so good, right? And if you have a bad day, there'll be something in there that wasn't so bad. And uh, I guess it kind of depends on the way that you perceive it and the things and the parts that you focus on. So if you're in not such a good head space you'll tend to focus on that little bit of your day that wasn't so good even if you've had a good day right and um and then maybe when you've had a great day but or when you've had a bad day rather and that little bit of goodness was in there you, you kind of dismiss that good bit right so again coming back to balancing strength and gentleness uh, in every bad day, I guess maybe you could say at least you were still alive, right? At least you had another day to go again, right? And every good day, there was probably something not so good, but rubbish that happened, but didn't knock you off your stride too much. And so kind of take that as a symbol that, you know, you, there will always be little challenges that come along. And if you can kind of stumble and find your feet again, then take courage from that, right? So, again, I'm trying to look at the balance between strength and gentleness too, right? And in one way, you know, too much softness is not good and gentleness, you know, that can put you in jeopardy and make you a bit of a walkover, right? Then too much of, you know, the yang, the toughness, can make you rigid and unable to adapt. And you don't want to be too much of one or the other, do you? You don't want to be 
to be a walkover. Um, someone who's treated like a doormat. But you don't want to be somebody who other people don't want to talk to because you're just always kind of sharp and and, and abrupt with them and, and, and threatening us. That's not a way to be, is it, right? So the best way that I can kind of explain this is, um, say, for instance, uh, in football, right? Yes, you want to have strength to be able to withstand, say, for instance, a shoulder charge or a tough tackle, right? But you also want to be mobile and flexible enough to be able to the twist and turn when the the direction of play changes and you know i guess you could apply that to your everyday life couldn't you when when things change and something goes the other way than you expected it to go are you adaptable enough to be able to move adaptable in your thinking to be able to move that way adaptable enough in your your physicality to be able to move that way um you know, not everything is going to go to plan. It never does, right? And, and change is, you know, that, that, there's that saying that the only thing that's inevitable in life is change, right? And so you have to be prepared for that. So when we're talking about yoga and flexibility, I'm not just talking about being able to put your leg, your foot behind your head. It's about flexibility in your thinking adaptability in how you view situations, the ability to be able to step back and have some perspective on what it is that you're looking at and be able to see angles, right? So if you're, if you're playing snooker, you know, and, and you, you look in at the shot in one way where, where you're looking at the cue ball, you might think, well, there's no way that I can hit the ball that I'm aiming at, I'm snookered, right? because it's behind the black ball or something like that, right? But if you step to the side and have a little look, change your perspective, you might be able to see, okay, well, if I just kind of go past that a little bit and just don't hit that ball, I can see an angle where I can get to where I need to be going, right? So be adaptable in your thinking, you know? And, and I always talk in my classes about the palm tree, right? The palm tree is something to be admired and you know we imitate things that we admire right because well that, that's human nature and that to imitate things that you admire you imitate the people who you admire when you grow up or you know if you have a dog and the, the dog goes Arr! you know if you've ever had a dog you know you, you'll find yourself if you're anything like me going Arr! back to the dog you know and um it, it just shows like that I guess it's a way of saying that I see you, you know, if you've seen that movie Avatar and they say, I see you as a, as a kind of alternative way to saying I love you, right? And, and that's a, a nice little message as well, isn't it? That, um, you know, when you look at something and you feel respect and admiration for it and love for it or someone, then you think, okay, well, what's what has that got that I can take on board? And that's a lot of what yoga is about too. Looking at things and people that you admire and trying to take some of those principles and apply it to your own life, right? So you'll have like the downward facing dog pose where, yeah, it's essentially it's like a dog, right? Where, where a dog puts down its uh, front paws and sticks its rear end up and does a big stretch. And oh, even just thinking about it, I have to kind of do it here now and just feel that lovely release into the upper back and 
you know. So with the palm tree, the thing that I like to say in my class is that it has great balance. It balances strength and gentleness, right? It has the strength, right? The, the stand that's ground what it needs to with those strong roots and a strong base. Combined with the adaptability, the gentleness, the flexibility to move and sway with the wind when the wind changes uh, without becoming uprooted. And that's what I think that, you know, for me, what we're trying to do in yoga. And as I say, yoga for me is, is a way of life, essentially. You know, it's about the philosophy that comes from yoga. I try to apply to my everyday life and that's what I'm hoping to bring to you. But it doesn't mean that I always am successful with it. It doesn't mean that I'm not sometimes, um, you know, impatient and, and bad-tempered and grumpy and especially when I'm, you know, usually when I'm hungry or I'm tired, right? Those are the things. And, and you might find that yourself when you argue with other people. You might find that it's, a, it's either one or both of you are either tired or hungry. And, um, or you haven't communicated something that's on your mind that you're trying to, that you're ruminating on, that you're, you're kind of throwing about in your head that you can't really process and someone's interrupted that train of thought that you were on where you were trying to figure something out right so you know and that's called in um in, in psychology um misdirection misdirection of 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 anger right where something has happened somewhere else and you're you're ruminating you're stewing on that and um and then somebody else comes along who has nothing to do with the situation that you were in and just says you know oh sorry do you mind you know, I don't know, maybe you come home and someone says to you, oh, could you, could you just lift that, bring that rubbish out or something? And, and then you just kind of fly off the handle and go, why are you always asking me to do these things? Give me a second, I've just stepped in through the door, right? And, but it's not really anything to do with that person and what they've said to you about taking the rubbish out. It's really like a small thing, isn't it? But maybe you were just trying to process in your head what happened earlier and someone else, maybe your boss at work or something has been on your back and you're kind of from your point of view anyway and and uh, making you do kind of maybe going up, trying to make you go above and beyond what your job should entail. Um, and because you, you know, you, you need your job maybe, you know, you don't want to be telling your boss to go and, you know, do it themselves. So that anger that you have inside gets misdirected towards someone that you love, who you know um, will have a bit more patience with you, um, which is not to say that that's a good thing. It just is, is the theory of misdirection of anger. Um, so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to get back to balancing strength and gentleness. Well, you have to have, I guess you have to, have the strength to stand your ground when you need to, like I said, with the palm tree, but be adaptable enough to move with the winds of change enough so you don't snap or become uprooted. So maybe that's being strong enough to stand your ground means that you are strong enough to have the conversation with your boss when your boss is asking you to do um, more than than you're being paid for and 
doing that maybe sooner rather than later is maybe a better way to to approach it because the more you let it stew the more the more you kind of let it fester within you the more likely you are to then snap at that at the boss next time they ask you to do something right and then end up losing your job right and so I'm not saying that's definitely the solution to any issues that you're having in in your employment at the moment, but I'm just trying to explain the uh, uh, the psychological theories of uh, misdirection of anger. So sticking with that, you know, so yes, maybe sometimes you need to stand your ground and, and have the conversation with the people that um, you need to be having the, the conversation with who are, who are, you know, causing you the stress or anxiety or overloading you so that you can have the gentleness with yourself and with the people that you love who are maybe on the end of your misdirected anger, right? By, by doing that, right? And then, so just, just to go back to the psychological kind of um, concept of the direction of your energy and, you know, your anger specifically, um, in, in terms of... Uh, Freud's Sigmund Freud's kind of um, ideas about that he talks about misdirection of anger in that way he also talked about sublimation right and and um, explained that in simple terms as far as I'm concerned it's uh, um, and I just had a little look online before I started this chat anyway it says um, it, it was explained briefly as um, transforming socially unacceptable impulses into socially acceptable actions. And that's a good way to think about it. Um, that's not to say that all things that are considered socially unacceptable are, are bad and that all things that are considered socially acceptable are good. But for instance, you know, if we're talking about um, it being socially unacceptable to, to, you know, tell your boss to, you know, do one when it, when he or she's asking you to to do more work uh, that's socially unacceptable and, and and probably you know highly unadvisable if you want to stay in employment right then transforming the that impulse um into acceptable action so instead of slapping your boss right you go and now uh do an hour in the gym or go to a yoga class right that's socially acceptable for most people anyway, right? But so what the way that I like to think of of the yoga practice, it's almost like insulating cable for your energy. And if you don't have that insulating cable, so you don't have that direction for your energy um, through these physical activities or, or breath control exercises or, you know, lifting weights or um, you know, boxing, whatever, whatever it is you do. Um, if you don't have that direction for your energy, it's kind of like, do you remember, I don't, I don't know if this ever even happens anymore, right? But you can imagine um, years ago when you used to watch a movie maybe and, and 
um, an electrical cable would be cut or in a cartoon or something, right? And, and if an electrical cable was cut, it would whip around all over the place with sparks flying, right? And so you remember seeing those kind of images, right? And that's how I think of um, undirected or, or, or misdirected energy. It's like a, a cable, electrical cable that's been cut. That's what you're like when you haven't got direction. You're like a cable whipping a butt all over the place causing chaos, right? And if you can find your direction, your insulating cable, whether that's, you know, yoga or, or uh, playing football or, or art, whatever it is, something that gives you some kind of direction for your energy, then you directed towards something constructive instead of being destructive and whipping around all over the place and you know being chaotic and causing chaos around you right so how does that relate to balancing strength and gentleness i'm not really sure i've kind of gone off on a little bit of a tangent right but i get you know you could say that you have to be strong enough to harness your energies and then gentle enough to to understand that you just need to rest sometimes right and to understand that none of us are perfect and that from time to time each of us loses our temper and um maybe says things that that are hurtful to somebody else or you know doesn't do doesn't take the rubbish out when they're supposed to take the rubbish out right and leaves it Whatever, you know, it's not like I am never, I have never done any of these things or that I never do any of these things. It's just that you try to minimize that. You try to, to practice um, that, well, that's what yoga is about for me. It, it helps to direct your energies towards something more constructive so that I'm, if I have something that's on my mind, I can, you know, work it out. Uh, Maybe through just, you know, taking some time just to sit and breathe and even just breathing fully. You know, you'll hear me even like in when I'm doing these podcasts, just taking a moment and, you know, just doing a big sigh. And sometimes I'll do that and, you know, my other half will say, what are you sighing about? You know, and, and I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just breathing, you know, and, and other people will say that to me as well. And, you know, my other half kind of knows now to expect that a big sigh of it it does not mean that I'm annoyed or trying to express frustration it's that it's just a deep breath right and in yoga what we try and do is when you're trying to harness your breath you're focusing one of the ways you can do that is to focus on the exhale And if you lengthen the exhale, the inhale becomes almost like a reflex, right? So you're trying to lengthen the exhale and a big sigh is, is a way of doing that, you know? And, oh, you know, you can do a sigh of relief, can't you? Um, so what am I trying to say with this and trying to keep it on a theme of balancing strength and gentleness? Um, you need that strength in your abdominal region to, to expel the energy by pulling your stomach in and, 
and then that pushes the digestive organs and then that pushes the, the diaphragm, the dome-shaped muscle that sits underneath your lungs up towards the lungs and that squeezes the lungs to get rid of the stale air and the carbon dioxide and the stuff you don't need. So when you inhale, it's a softening of the abdominal muscles, right? So you give the digestive organs somewhere to go. So the, the diaphragm can then move down away from the lungs and the lungs can expand down as well as up and forwards and backwards and to the sides and... So you soften to let the good stuff in and then you you strengthen to let the stuff you don't need, the stuff that's not so good for you go. And that's applicable, isn't it? And in more than just the physical aspects of your life, you know. It needs you need strength to let go of what you don't need, right? Bringing it back to, to the cat, the the Egyptian cat, the protector of the pharaoh that you will maybe know from um, if you've and if you're in the ancient Egypt and looking at the pyramids and stuff like that, you know, um, Hassan said to me that it's a. They they represent the balance of the fierce, and beauty, and I love that. You need to be fierce enough, like have a bit of wildness in you, right? Don't you to, to. For people not to think that they can just take advantage of you, you need to have a bit of an edge. And um, what does that mean? It means that you, you, the people know, I guess, maybe that there's only a certain amount that they can push you before you'll, you'll push back, right? And, and, and pushing back is not a bad thing, you know? And I don't mean like necessarily physically, although if someone was, you know, attacking you physically, you'd, you know, this is where martial arts comes into it. And I'm, I'm hoping to have a chat with um for maybe next week's episode, uh with um one of the lovely people that I teach, um who is a former, uh kung fu representative for Great Britain. Um, but she's one of the nicest, sweetest people you'll ever meet. Her name's Josie, and hopefully, we'll get her onto the podcast for for next week or at least sometime soon. Anyway, I was going to do it for this week's. Um, but then wasn't able to do that. But so it's like when I used to work in the bars and the bouncers, the guys who were doing security in the place, they were like the sweetest guys, you know, really massive guys, right? And not all of them, actually. Some of them were, were, were not physically massive, um, but they could handle themselves. And, and the point is that they were the nicest, kind of loveliest guys to you and patient and calm and, uh, you know, in the face of, of uh, you know, intoxicated people trying to aggravate them and goad them and, you know, maybe showing off in front of girls who were there. Um, and they just had the patience and they would just kind of shrug off the stuff because they knew that if anybody did actually go for them, these guys were, you know, some of them were cage fighters like... Um, before it was, it was, I mean, I'm talking about, uh, maybe 15, no, 16, 17 years ago, something like that, before UFC was a big thing in, in my world anyway, before the Ultimate Fighting Champions was a big thing. These guys were, were, were cage fighting and doing the mixed martial arts and they knew that they could handle themselves if somebody went for them. You know, they could block and deflect whatever was coming at them and, you know, disarm these people and. Um, and when I say disarm, I mean just, you know, maybe getting them into a hold where 
they could just be removed from the premises and, and no harm w was done to anybody else, right? That is a big thing. That is a huge example of balancing strength and gentleness, right? Someone coming at a bouncer or a security guard trying to cause them proper harm sometimes, you know, then that bouncer or security guard, or maybe even we could think about the police force, um, you know, or, or security or, or the army or whatever you want to think of. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, every police officer and every um, security guard or, or, or bouncer or, you know, member of, of the army is infallible, right? I'm not saying that at all. And whatever you think about, you know, those people, um, forget about that for a moment. Just put yourself, well, put yourself in their shoes, right? If someone was coming at you with intent to hurt you, right? Maybe you've been in this situation yourself. How much discipline do you need, do you need to be able to kind of just block and deflect whatever was coming at you? Turn that person around, put them away from you so that you were, and, and whoever whoever else was in the vicinity, so that they were out of harm's way. And then step away from that without trying to do excessive harm to that person, right? That is a balance of strength and gentleness. That is, if you know any martial artists or, or boxers um, or people who are, you know, really good at their job in terms of being a police officer or a soldier or a, or a security guard. You will know that these people are the softest and kindest and nicest people, um, the least likely to, to lash out um, when someone's provoking them until they need to act. And then they can block, deflect, disarm, you know. Maybe they might need to, to put the person... Um, down with a punch or something like that, right? But you will find that, and well, in my experience anyway, the martial artists, the people who are properly trained in self-defense or, or in the martial arts are, are some of the nicest people because they're not afraid and they don't need that preemptive strike. They, don't, they won't do that. Um, fear and anger makes us pull inwards with the psoas muscles that are that are those are the muscles in the hip flexors that draw the spine towards the legs to and, and so if you think about it if you heard loud noise um what would you do you you, you know you hear a bang right you, you pull yourself inwards naturally it's it's instinctive right where you pull yourself in to close up your 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 torso towards your towards your legs, so you're protecting your vital organs, your soft underbelly, in preparation to either freeze and not be detected, right? It's called fight, flight, or freeze mode when, when you're in that heightened state of adrenaline, right? You, you will pull yourself inwards, make yourself smaller to either prepare to freeze, to hide and avoid detection, to strike out, okay, by giving yourself somewhere to kind of come from, so you'll pull in so you have more velocity to strike back with, okay? Or to, to protect yourself, to pull yourself inwards to protect your, your vital organs. So 
when you feel that fear, that, that gut, that fear, that churning in your stomach sometimes, that is connected to the, the psoas muscle, or at least it can be, right? The psoas muscle is so deep that it, it, it runs from the spine through to the, to the front of the legs, the, the femur, the top leg bone, through that area of the gut where you feel that tightness in your stomach when you're, when you're upset and you're angry or you're afraid of something, right? So when people talk about the gut feeling, trusting your gut feeling, that's whenever you're instinctively afraid or, or angry about something or something's not right. That's what they talk about when you say the gut feeling. It can be that psoas muscle. It's called it's so deep in the body that it's referred to as the muscle of the soul. And it's said um, to uh, automatically contract, to pull us in when adrenaline is coursing through the body. So when someone's afraid, when they don't know how to defend themselves, bringing it back to the, to the bouncers or, or the martial artists, um, when someone is, a, or a police officers, whatever, when someone is afraid in a situation or angry, they will pull themselves in, maybe imperceptibly, right? In preparation to strike out. And that's when, you know, people like bullies and things like that, when people say that bullies um, are often afraid or, or angry, right? And, and, but it's a lot of time to do with fear, actually, that people strike out. Um, that's what it is. It's the fear of, of somebody getting to you first. So you get to them first. If someone is trained and knows how to handle themselves, they are much less likely to do that. And that's when you'll find, you know, these guys and girls not um, striking out at people um, quickly, rashly. It doesn't happen like that usually in my experience. And... And, and in the philosophies of things like Kung Fu and, uh, and karate and stuff like that, it, it's about blocking and deflecting the negative stuff, right? Without using more force than is necessary. Okay? So, you know, talking about balancing fear and anger, uh, or, or strength rather and gentleness, as you'd say. Um, it takes a lot of strength to be able to block and deflect what you don't need, right? And gentleness to, to not become bitter about that, to not be angry about those things coming at you, to accept that negativity, bad things come to everyone. And it's how you handle that stuff that um, will result in in how you feel inside about about how you perceive stuff. And when you're gentle with yourself, um, you tend to be, tends to be easier to be gentle to other people, right? And put another, putting that in another way, um, when you're nice to yourself, when you treat yourself well, it, it, you find, and it just makes common sense, doesn't it? That you, you find that you are, you find it's easier to be nicer to other people. When you've had a good day, um, when you've done things, when you've allowed yourself time to yourself to, to do things that you enjoy or to have a break from, from stuff that you find super challenging, then it's easier to be nicer to other people, isn't it? So, 
balancing strength and gentleness. That's the thing, you know? And um, yeah, I think too much of anything is too much, isn't it? Um, too much strength if you're overdoing it, you know, in a tangible way in the gym. If you're lifting too many weights, you can become, you know, rigid and inflexible. And then, you know, that's brittle. That's not, that's not real kind of strength in my my eyes it, it's 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 brittleness right and you're breakable if you just you know if you have to move the other way for instance if you're always doing bicep curls you know maybe you don't have the strength to extend your arm fully you know where the tricep um needs to be strengthened the bicep needs to be lengthened um and then so maybe you have to catch something quickly and all of a sudden the tricep you know, it, it extends and the tricep's not used to, or contract rather, and the tricep not, isn't used to contracting. And then all of a sudden now you've pulled the muscle um, in your bicep because it was too tight, right? In the same way, too much quote unquote strength or I don't know, hardness, you know, um, toughness is, is not healthy either. Um, and that results in in a harshness, doesn't it? It results in a, um, I don't know, a coldness maybe, right? That can result in a coldness, can't it? And in terms of you pushing things away, you know, if you're always on that that um, that high alert mode, you know, where where. You're not allowing yourself to be gentle and to rest. You're just going to burn out. Whether that's, you know, physically or or mentally, if you're being too hard on yourself in terms of I have to be strong, I have to be strong, can't show any weakness, you know. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm supposed to be better than this. I'm supposed to be the one who's looking after everybody else. You know, if you're doing that all the time, um, there's only so much you can do with that until you burn out. It's like... An electric, an electrical appliance. To return to the electrical analogy, it's like an electrical appliance. If you leave it turned on all the time, it's gonna burn out, right? If you leave a light turned on all the time, the bulb's gonna go, you know, quicker. You know, the bulbs are always gonna gonna die out. Right? We're always gonna expire. That's, you know, just a fact. But the bulb will last longer if you don't leave the light on all the time. You will last longer if you don't leave yourself kind of switched on all the time in that hyper um, vigilant mode of thinking that you have to always be the one who's um, being strong. So since we're talking about balancing strength and gentleness, too much gentleness is not going to be good either, is it? Because you'll be walked over. Too much flexibility and you'll end up pulling something the other way you'll be hyper flexible hyper mobile right and so if anybody's just doing yoga i'd say do some weights do some resistance training as well if anybody's just doing weights i'd say do some yoga but also in terms of being too passive um you know yoga is not about being passive as i said earlier the palm tree is a great example of of what yoga philosophy is about, in, in my opinion anyway. It's about being strong enough to stand your ground when you need to, 
being able to be adaptable enough and soft enough and gentle enough to move um, when the winds change without snapping or becoming uprooted, right? Without giving up your place, right? Where, where your roots are, right? Whatever that means to you, you know? Your roots, your basics, your, you know, your principles, yeah? You can bend a little bit, you know, but you don't want to be bending too much so that you you lose your principles, do you? Um, so that led me to think about uh, the book that I'm reading at the moment, right? And it's it's a brilliant book. And um, my other half got me this lovely gift. It was a, a book spa thing, essentially, right? Um, which I'd never heard of before, but um, it was an online book spa, essentially where you you go and go online and you fill out a questionnaire about your likes and your dislikes in terms of books that you read and um, uh, things that you like in terms of music or movies or uh, hobbies, whatever it is, and who your favorite authors are and so on like that. And then what happens is they have uh, somebody called a bibliotherapist, someone who's an expert in books, who um, chooses six books for you and then sends you one book a month for six months in the mail. And um, it's great, you know, see, it's, it's, it's lovely because you get like, you know, a present every month essentially. And it was a lovely gift that I was given by my other half. Um, but the first one, so I got just at the start of the month and I'm still reading it now. It's called Fire Season, Field Notes from a Wilderness Lookout by Philip Connors. Okay, and it was um, published by Echo in 2012. And essentially, I'll read, I'll read the synopsis to you. It says, for a decade, Philip Connors has spent nearly half of each year in a seven foot by seven foot fire lookout tower, 10,000 feet above sea level, keeping watch over one of the most fire prone forests in America. Fire season is his remarkable reflection on work, untamed fire, our place in the world and the charms of solitude. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. This guy, you know, is in New Mexico. Um, looking out over the forests um, in solitude, um, only his dog to keep him company. And, um, you know, just kind of, it's his reflections on, on what it is to be, sol um, to have that sense of connection with nature. And it's, you know, it's very kind of meditative and a lot of the stuff that he talks about and, being alone in nature and making that connection to it. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because, well, as I say, the theme for this podcast is about, uh, this episode rather, um, is about balancing strength and gentleness and, and understanding that there is, um, there's a time for strength and a time for gentleness, a time to be um, robust and resilient and a time to... Uh, yield right and, and so uh, um, so what he's <clears throat> the reason why I got, it got me thinking about this book is that um, he talks about fire and forest fires not necessarily being a bad thing right and I had never thought about this before right he's saying that essentially um, natural fires in the forests are an important part of the natural process of uh death and rebirth of the, the, 
the life in that ecosystem. And um, so I'll just read you a little extract from page seven in this book. Um, so he says, during my time in the Gila, G-I-L-A, I don't know if that's pronounced correctly or not, but during my time in the Gila, that's the mountain range he's in, I've been witness to one of the most remarkable ongoing revolutions in land management ever undertaken by the Forest Service. For millennia, fires burned here with no effort to suppress them. Only with the coming of the Forest Service in the early 1900s did that change as the government used all the tools and tactics of warfare on what it deemed a deadly enemy. Almost from its infancy, the Forest Service hewed to an unyielding goal to suppress every single fire as soon as it was detected. So he goes on to say, for another several decades, that remained the protocol on every single fire, every single wildfire in the West. By the late 1960s, ecologists and fire officials had begun to understand just how badly the total suppression strategy had warped whole ecosystems. A tinderbox of thick fuels had built up, primed to explode. So what he's saying there is that the stuff that needs, the stuff that's really highly flammable and um, that that ecosystem was using to, to um, burn off what, what needed to be burnt off for new life to come through, whether that was through lightning strikes, striking um, dry grass and ground and land causing the fire or um, through, I, I think that was the main cause actually, so lightning strikes, yeah. Um, so he was saying that, or just even from the sun, you know, having a particularly dry season, a particularly dry summer, where, where the, you know, this as he, uh, this stuff that he describes as um, the, the thick fuels, the tinderbox of thick fuels have built up prime to explode. Um, if they don't get burned off periodically, then it builds up and it builds up and until all of a sudden now he says that it's ready to explode and cause these mad big wildfires. And we've seen, I don't know if it's, um, if there are more wildfires now than there used to be or, um, but it seems to be that, that there are more of those. Um, was it in the Amazon recently where there was a, a huge wildfire that was carrying on and people were, were quite concerned about that in terms of how it was affecting um, our environment. This happens when, when you interfere with nature too much, doesn't it? You know, when, when you upset the ecosystem, the balance of life there, when you think that that something that you perceive is bad must be suppressed at all times and some you know and then what so no fires is considered to be good and uh, and essentially then what happens is you're not having the balance of, of the stuff being burnt off that needs to be burnt off naturally so that the ice feeds into the earth and the nutrients that come from that then result in, in new life growing from that. And you can take that back to my point about balancing strength and gentleness in the same way that you could say <clears throat> sometimes you need to let off some steam, right? You need to sublimate, like I talked about earlier, sublimate um, your energies, conduct your energies towards something constructive, 
even if it looks like it's a, a destructive thing that you're doing, like say for instance, boxing. Might, if you don't know about boxing, you might consider it to be a violent and aggressive uh, sport that, or, uh, th- that encourages, um, what, thuggish behavior? But again, boxing is a martial art, right? You're, you're practicing strength and gentleness there too. You know, you, you need to be strong enough to withstand a blow but mobile and agile enough and light enough on your feet to to not have to take so many of those hits. You know, you need to be mobile enough and flexible enough to throw the punches. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, in terms of the theme that I wanted to talk about, balancing things out is better than trying to fully um, suppress things. If you don't have an outlet for your energy, then it's not going to be good. It's going to build up that anger and frustration or, um, you know, even if if a buildup of of testosterone when you need to let off steam, right? If you don't let that out somehow, then it's going to be misdirected and come out in another way. In the same way that if this forest service, the forest service was suppressing all these fires, um, then it was meaning, because they were saying that's not a good thing to ever have that, it was meaning that that there was a build-up and a build-up and a build-up until that stuff couldn't be suppressed anymore. So now they have what are called prescribed fires. right? When a natural fire occurs, they look at it, they assess it, and then they'll they'll try and let the fire burn and only try to control it whenever it needs to be controlled when it's causing danger to life or or livelihood through farms and and, and cattle and so on. Um doesn't always go the way they want it to go, but it's really interesting that they're doing this now, you know? So there you go. And I, I think that I hope that made some sense. I hope that was was interesting to you. Um, and I, I, yeah, and I just want to to kind of return to the fact of why I was talking about this. You know, I was given this lovely gift by one of the students who came along to my class. It was a a little statue of uh, the Egyptian ancient Egyptian um, goddess uh, Bast. Um, who came from the lioness goddess developed across time, apparently from the lioness goddess down to this cat, the, the guardian of the pharaohs. Um, and, and Hassan, the, the, um, my Egyptian friend who gave me this, said that it symbolizes the balance of the fierce and, and the beauty, right? So try and find that for yourself, I guess, that <clears throat> little bit of wildness that lets you live your life um, and express yourself, you know? If you look at a dancer or a... Or a you know, maybe a good yoga teacher, they'll, they'll give you some freedom to move. They'll make you want to move, you know, express yourself. You know, sometimes you just want to um, shout for, you know, scream for joy, don't you? And, and, and that's a bit wild. Doesn't mean it's bad, does it? It's a release of energy, you know, whether maybe you're watching a football match or, or your favorite concert and, you, you know, your, your favorite band and you want to scream for them and, and, and cheer them on, you know, that's a good release of energy. So balance, uh, 
your strength and your gentleness out, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, you know. Um, have, understand that there's a bit of wildness in, the, in you um, and be gentle enough to not judge yourself too harshly on that. And um, try and find something that, that allows you to conduct your energy. All right, so um, I'll sign off there. Don't forget, you if you want to find out more about Shanti Warrior Yoga and what I do, you can find me online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, if you're finding these podcasts helpful and you want to help me carry on doing them, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com and searching for Everyday Yoga or Shanti Warrior Yoga. That's S-H-A-N-T-I, Warrior Yoga. And uh, the website, again, is patreon.com, where you can be a patron of the show. Uh, you can donate um, the price of a, of a pint or a cup of coffee uh, every month if you, you feel this is worthwhile. I'm trying to give you, um, you know, something every week to, to help you with um, coping with everyday life, giving you little bits of yoga philosophy to help you cope with everyday life. All right, so I'll sign off. And uh, the way that I do with my yoga classes, kind thoughts, kind words, and kind actions. Apply those things to yourself as well as to others. Namaste.